there. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Almost 30. Everybody, welcome to the show, the experience, the lifestyle, the vortex, <laughs> the cult <laughs> of Almost 30 <laughs> Nation, baby. <laughs> welcome to the big show. Everyone, everyone, who coined that? It was someone in our community. Almost 30 Nation? Was it you? I or think th- it was me. It was like someone was like... I honestly think it was me and every, and you've always said it's someone in our community. And I was like, yeah, it was someone in our community because I didn't want to be like, I named them. But someone was like, something about like rocking on yeah, or like, like at an almost event. Almost 30 Nation. Yeah. yeah, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was yeah, a it was huge you. crowd. Huge, huge crowd Madison of thousands. Square Garden. And they said, <laughs> we are almost 30 Nation, baby. <laughs> if you're new, welcome to the show. My name is Krista. This is my best friend, Lindsay. And we've been doing this for about six years now. We like to talk about spirituality, health and wellness, all of the good things. And we have courses and programs, an amazing membership. We've been on tour, done retreats, all of that. But we're here to support you in your evolution and be as honest and authentic as possible. Yeah, no matter where you're at, truly. If you feel like you're dying, just kind of awakening, if you feel like you're in the middle of an ego death, if you mm-hmm. feel like mm-hmm. you're on top of the world, truly, I feel like people find us at the exact right time and also dip into episodes that are very, very pertinent to what they're going through. So mm-hmm. I love I love our community for that, just being very intuitive with how they navigate what we put out. But this one's an, a unique one. So previously, we've talked about our experience at ayahuasca retreats. We did an ayahuasca retreat, Lindsay and I, in 2018. 2019, 20, March. March 2019. Isn't that weird? So no, it feels weird. like 2018, but yeah, it was 2019. The experience separately, our own experiences, and then sort of what happened. I did the Pasana retreat, so a silent retreat for I don't know how many days, five or seven. And I recapped that as well. And it's interesting because both of those experiences both happened very easily. Like mm-hmm. I just kind of said to the universe, hey, if this is something that we should do or I should do, make it easy. Yes. Happened very easily. And the same with this darkness retreat. And in my dreams last night, because It was the day after Scott and I had this conversation regarding the darkness retreats, Sky Cave retreats in Oregon. In my dream, I was time traveling to the darkness retreat. Mm. And so in my dream, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm time. And it was interesting because in my dream state, in my lucidity, I was time traveling past everything to get to the darkness. Mm. But I have really a lot of really great things in travel coming up in the next couple of months. Even in my dream state, I thought, wow, that's interesting that this is what I'm time traveling to experience Yes, and not anything else that I'm doing in between. So I'm already kind of in the energy. But for this episode, I have not gone to the darkness retreat yet. For the episode later this week that you can listen to, I will recap my experience. So we have this conversation to wet your whistle, to educate you on darkness retreats, what it is, why someone would do it, Mm -hmm. some of the experiences people have had, the history and lineage of them. And then I will be sharing post-darkness retreat, everything that happened. Yeah. So talking now, do you have any fears? At first I was like, I think I was making a joke, but not. I was like, I think I'm going to scratch my skin off. (laughs) (laughs) And he was like, okay. He's like, that's not an, he's like, that's not a response I'm used to hearing. <laughs> he's like used to hearing people just being like, I think I'm going to be scared or mm-hmm. I'm not really scared. I think I'm most nervous about not walking a lot. Yeah. I love to move my yeah. body. 
Yeah. And so to be at rest in that way. And then I'm a little bit scared of the dark. Mm-hmm. So, but like not of the darkness retreat, but of the dark. Like sometimes I'm like, oh, is something going to touch me? Totally. So I think that's how wild. Yeah. I know. It's a little disorienting. So when you take away that yeah. sense of sight. You're going to be like turning around like, who's there? <laughs> who's here? <laughs> Just like, that's, totally. I think that feeling, you know, I'm, of something could like grab your leg. Totally. But but knowing deeply, like really kind of recentering in the truth of, okay, where am I? Mm-hmm. What's well, true? Mm-hmm. This isn't a horror film. Like totally. we're good. But I, I can imagine, because I think I'm not going, but I think if the timing was right or I felt the call to, my fear feels also, not fear, but just kind of like your movement thing. It's like natural light. Yes. You know what I mean? Like yes. just being like, oh my God, I love light so much. Like, would I get sad? Yes. But also experiencing the contrast in that way. I can imagine coming out the other side just being like, oh my God, I love everything. Like, I'm just so thankful. Mm -hmm. Thankful, 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 Mm -hmm. thankful. Yeah. I loved in our conversation, you talked a lot about how it's like the womb, the seed of creation. Mm -hmm. The darkness is really where everything comes. You know, when we think about the universe, it comes from darkness. Mm -hmm the darkness of the universe when you leave earth mm-hmm. is like that pitch black, that infinite void. Yeah. So yeah, now I'm a little scared about no. like ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little bit scared. Yeah, I need to, uh, but I need to get that out of my system. That fear yeah. I have of, because I believe so much in the paranormal and the supernatural and all of that, that I get a little scared that yeah. something's going to fuck with me. Totally. But you can leave. So the door to your thing is always open. Wow. Like it always unlocked. So you could leave. And then I think that's the only one I've kind of thought about. I kind of would like to fast mm-hmm. just because it's like, what would be the point of like eating an apple and like a sandwich in the dark? Totally. You know I wonder I mean? if your senses would be different. Like your taste would be different or yeah. maybe you would appreciate it more. Definitely appreciate it more, but it's almost like why kind of weird. Yeah. You're like, like, no one's watching me. So yeah, 100%. what's the point of eating? <laughs> or it's like, I mean, it'll probably be good, but like, you know. Yeah, who knows? (laughs) But to not see it is such an important thing. So you're kind of just with it. And I'm just like, yeah, I don't even know. I don't know why I've eaten. I wonder if hunger will change. Yeah. You know, that sense. Obviously, if you're not, well, you'll you'll move. You'll probably do your own thing, Mm -hmm. like with movement wise, but like being more at rest, like and how hunger changes and and sleep. Even like yeah, and sleep. Because your circadian rhythm Mm. is so off. Because normally it's reset by the sun. (sighs) So the natural circadian rhythm that Dr. Andrew Huberman talks about that so much about getting in the sun, natural sun, the first thing in the morning to set your circadian rhythm for metabolism, for energy, for so much. And so when you don't have that, your melatonin, like is produced at a very, very high level from the pineal gland. Yep. And so sometimes people can have psychedelic experiences because that's where also DMT is released. So you can have something really trippy. So my body's going to be producing melatonin at this really crazy level because it's just in the dark. Wow. I know. Cool. There's a secret part of me too that's like, I hope I sleep the whole time. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Come out like a bear. Yeah, literally. I'm like, I'm just like, hibernation. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, that, that actually potentially could be me. Totally. Because of this how I can do sleep shit. anywhere. I can sleep anywhere. And even I did a ketamine meditation the other day. I was like, didn't feel much. Mm-hmm. I'm so protective of mm. my 
letting go. Yeah. And I'm control and I fear letting go. So it's like, who knows? I mean, honestly, I could come out and be like, yeah, I felt like a nap. <laughs> totally. <laughs> felt like I slept for fucking <laughs> a billion times. But I think it'll be powerful. And yeah. I think the thing that I really like about this that was why I wanted to bring it through to the audience was it's the most simple. It's like, how do we come back to the simple? And the simple is being with the self, feeling the feelings. Sober. Being in solitude, being sober. Just like being present in the moment and not having distractions, numbing other people around, you know, stimulants, toxins, all of that. It's like, how can we come back to simple in the process of our ascension. Yeah. And it makes me think about like how much power we give to, and I'm not saying they're not powerful, but to plant medicine Mm -hmm. or other substances that can uh, support us in what we feel like is transcending or, um, you know, whatever. But yeah, we forget how powerful we are just within our own selves. You know what I mean? Without any stimulus like that. So yeah, I think you're going to have an insanely powerful experience. Something that resonated that he said, just last thing before we get into it, he's like, this might be, you know, for a lot of women, this is like the first time they've ever felt safe. Mm. Because so many women, whether it's at a women's circle or whether it's out walking on the street or with a healer, you don't really feel safe. It's very rare to feel fully safe as a woman. Like you can fully let go. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) And you're not worried about the other, worried about their experience. Totally. Worried to be too much, worried they're not going to care in the way you want them to, worried they're whatever. And like, how can this be for me, that experience where I'm like, oh, I can just fucking rip. A hundred percent. And just like let it all Hang out. <laughs> Scratch your skin off. Scratch my skin off. <laughs> <laughs> like literally oh, crack my skull. Wow. So this is Sky Cave Retreats. It is in Oregon. And my conversation was with Scott and he is the founder of Sky Cave Retreats. He is someone that has done many, many, many darkness retreats. He spent months and months and months in solitude. He lives in Oregon. They live in this beautiful community where the kids like hang out with each other. The kids like raise each other. He's like, my son is six. He's like feral. He's like, he'll leave at like 6 a.m. and come back at dinner. No way. Sometimes he'll like have dinner with our neighbors. No way. Yeah. They're he, he like hangs out with the trees all day, hangs out with the crystals, like fully in nature 24 seven. It's so special. He'll leave and he'll be like, I'm going to work. (laughs) it's like 8 a.m. and he's leaving the house like going to like in the woods isn't that beautiful dude I love that I need like a documentary on this kid same wow just want to see where he's going and what he's doing and the magic he's probably experiencing oh my god I mean this little how cool goals goals baby goals baby so skycaveretreats.com and then make sure to check out the episode that I do to document my experience I'm excited to share with you. You can connect with me on Instagram. It's I-T-S-K-R-I-S-T-A. It's it's Krista. And then you can find more from Almost 30, almost30.com. We have another podcast called Morning Microdose, which is the best of the best between five and 10 minutes to get your morning started off right. We have amazing guests and just conversations in very, very bite-sized form Mm -hmm. on Morning Microdose.
Yeah, y'all are going to love it. Enjoy this one, and we will see you on the other side. We love you guys. Bye. Bye. I'm so glad you're here. And it is very faded that you're here because I don't know. I think I told you this on our call, but we interviewed Aubrey, which was beautiful. And we're going to interview Blue as well when Mm -hmm. you did your retreat. And in my life, I've had opportunities to do things like Vipassana or ayahuasca retreats and things like that. And I've always just said, like, God, make it easy, make it happen if I'm meant to do it. And for all of those, it was something where it was like people reached out to me and they're like, we'd love to have you. And that was exactly this for the darkness retreat. So mm. I said, God, if it's meant for me, make it easy. And after our interview with Aubrey, you emailed. And yeah. so it was perfect and divine. And and it was something that I knew I really wanted to do and explore. And for me, it's something that doesn't have a lot of friction. Like I'm just like ready. I'm excited. I think I don't have a lot of thought or fear around it. And I usually don't let myself get into fear, but I'm really excited to do this with you guys. Awesome. I look forward to having you out there with us. So why would someone do a darkness retreat? Because I'm sure all my audience is like, so what is it and why? Well, there'd be a few different reasons. Uh, For some people come with the intention to just rest, to heal, to get clarity, to awaken more deeply, things along that line. I'd say the, the intention that creates the most ease for people in there is to just simply come and rest. Mm-hmm. So there's not an overlay of wanting to be something mm-hmm. that we're not already right now. Like wanting to heal, wanting to waken, wanting to get clarity. There's like a grasping for mm-hmm. something that's not already right here. Yeah, it's like the heart and the ego intentions I'm sure can be very, you know, it's like, what? okay, what's the heart intention? Mm-hmm. And then what's like the ego intention that people may have yeah. when they come in there? Sure, which I mean, and there's, Tons that we have that we're <laughs> yes. that we're unaware of. Yes. Oh, yes. A hundred percent. And then we become aware of it. A hundred percent. While we're in there. I think my ego. I do have the ego intention of. There is a part of me that likes to say I've done things, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so my ego is like I like to be someone that has done things. Yeah. And can be like, well, I've done that thing, mm-hmm. and I've experienced that thing, mm-hmm. and then there's that fine line that walks the tightrope of like me as a you know, an explorer of earth, alien being that's like, I really want to see what's possible for me. And I want to see what's out there. I know in our conversation, when we got to talk, which was beautiful, we talked a little bit about your journey doing these darkness retreats. And I'd love to hear how you became someone that believes in this medicine so much and believes in this process. Mm. I did my first one in 2012 with my wife. We blacked Mm. out our house. Prior to that, over the course of like seven years, I had spent like two years in solitude for five, six months at a time. And so I was really deep in that journey and what happens in solitude in the process. And somebody mentioned something about a darkness retreat. At the time, there was Mantak Chia Center in Thailand that I was aware of, and that was it. So my wife and I blacked out our house and we did five days in there. And after that, I was like, I want to go in alone. Mm-hmm. Did you talk during that time? A little bit. Okay. Not much. And so six months later, I was down in Baja where I spent a lot of the winters and we were building an earth bag dome in the earth. It was an eight foot diameter dome. And after we built it, I went in there and spent 10 days in the dark. I didn't have anyone that I really felt comfortable with to take care of me in there. So I just brought in enough food for five days. I fasted for the last five days and small space, eight foot diameter. So I had like my bed, a waste bucket, some water, a little bit of food, and that was it. 
I was really committed to wanting to have the experience. After I got out, I really wanted to build a space for myself and for others to go into the dark. I went in with a little bit of a spiritual ego. I had spent so much time alone and I was so comfortable being alone that I thought that I would be totally prepared. And after the first day, I realized like, wow, I am far from prepared. I don't have the tools that seem necessary to be completely at ease and happy in this space. Out in the woods, my practice for years was uh, exploring ecstatic bliss. That's all I was really interested in is how ecstatic can I be and how long can I maintain it for? It didn't really seem appropriate in the darkness without having things to celebrate, the sun, the sky, the moon, the stars, all the things. And I was not well-versed in softening. I still am not that well-versed, a little bit better from my time in the dark. But the softening, the surrendering, the collapsing, the letting go of control, being spacious, all the feminine qualities weren't something that were natural for me. And so it was a challenging time in there. Yeah, talking about the feminine and the aspects of the feminine, it's been so enlightening to speak with you and hear about how women are really good in the dark. And it's really encouraging. And I just love, I just love to hear that because it does feel like something that, again, the men would like effort through or sort of be better at because it seems hard. And that because women have this power within us in the true challenge that we can do well. So I'd love for you to explore or just share more about that, how you see women really doing well in these darkness retreats. Yeah, I'd say for me, witnessing from the outside, the people who have had the most profound transformation have been women who have gone in for just three days. And what I've seen happen is that they've allowed the the backlog of grief, pain, sorrow, all of those things to arise. And one thing I see that allows that to happen is they feel safe in a way that they've never felt safe before. And I was sharing this with an elder who leads a lot of vision quests and we're in a room with a bunch of people. And he said, ask all the women in here the last time they felt unsafe. And he said, most of them are going to say today. And then ask the men and they're going to think about it. And it may have been a couple of years ago. Maybe if they're in the city and there's things that happen, but just in general, as a man, they tend to feel safer than women. And so entering into the dark where everyone and women, where I feel like it really stands out as they could finally collapse Mm -hmm. and move into vulnerable spaces and feel like they don't have to have their guards up and they don't have to protect themselves. And they can be in that space seemingly forever in the darkness of this timeless space. And so the women who go in and get to fully collapse for the first time ever in a way where there's just no end to it Mm -hmm. and allow these feelings to bubble up and be with them, that they enter into a space where they realize they don't have to guard themselves from feeling the fullness of the pain and the grief. And they come into a space that's just, that can hold it all. 
And I feel like for the men, we've been so conditioned not to feel discomfort or pain or sorrow because that would be weakness. And so I feel like the men have a lot harder time just surrendering and softening and collapsing because there's no control and we're not used to not having control. There was a young couple that went in who were living on the land with us and she was going to go, they're both going to go in for two days in their own space. She came out after a day and was feeling sad that she left early. I wasn't there. They went in while I was gone. So they just went in and did their own thing. And she was feeling that like, she thought something was wrong with her because she felt so much grief and pain and didn't have the tools to be with it while she was in there. And she was a little down on herself that her partner was still in there. And I was reflecting with her that he probably didn't and hasn't gone as deeply as you have into the feeling. He's in there likely posturing from the pain and the discomfort. And when we brought him out, we brought him out together. And to see her reflection when he was like, oh, I was just, I had to fight through it. Mm-hmm. And there was the clear affirmation from her of just like, you fought through your pain mm-hmm. as opposed to just feeling it. And so I feel like that is what happens a lot in the difference between the men and the women and the men who make it through soften and collapse and surrender in a way that they maybe never have. There's been a lot of men who have come who have done a lot of men's work and vision quests and vision fast and done a lot of these austere things and have been severely humbled in the space of like, wow, this is not warrior work in that way. It's got a whole nother flavor to it. Yeah, it's like the activeness, the engaging, you know, because a quest is masculine in, in its own mm-hmm. to say you're on a quest destination steps through and you know you kind of understand it and you're like okay i understand my process but to be in the black and to be in the darkness and to feel and it's interesting justin and i my husband we had this is not the same but we did um what is it when you're in those black water sensory deprivation sensory deprivation we did one of those And we were in, it was supposed to be like two hours or something. And I was in it for like 30 minutes. I was like, I hate this. And I was just like, whatever, I'm not going to do it. And that's not usually like me. Usually I kind of, but I was just like, no, I don't, this isn't for me. This isn't my medicine. And he said, he stayed in there for two hours. He's like, I literally only stayed in there because I thought you were in there. He's like, I hated it the entire time, but I thought you were in there. And I was thinking about that too. Oh, it's like the same where it's kind of forcing them through doing it because they think someone else is doing it because they think that they have to, because it's like the more masculine route. I guess for women, you know, when they get to the point of feeling that much, do you find that, or do they find that in the room that there's tears, there's rage, like how are they sort of moving through the emotions? And then do you find that the emotions I can imagine in that space, I think energetically, are they stuck, you know, kind of in that room? Like, how have you felt like Mm. women are able to move through different emotions in a space like that? It's a lot of tears. Yeah. I mean, there's been a lot of women who have like, I've cried a lot in my life, but I don't think I've ever cried that much mm-hmm. before. And there's a woman who went in a couple months ago and she said, I, I was either sleeping or crying and that was it. Mm-hmm. 
And so a lot, be me. a lot of tears and there's a hot bath in there, mm-hmm. which a lot of people find solace in of like have getting, it's the only like external comfort besides food that happens in there. I don't hear a lot about rage or wow. anger really. They say that Martin Practel, whose grief work is big and what he's brought forth, that like anger shrouds grief. And so that if somebody's able to actually move into the grief, that perhaps anger isn't really present or perhaps prevailing as much mm-hmm. anger and then into the into the grief to actually feel the heartache. Yeah, it's like getting to the depths is really where the grief is and the tears are. And where did, you know, the idea of the darkness retreat, is this something that's been around for a long time? Because I'm sure a lot of our listeners are curious about where the idea of this even came from. Yeah. And is it something that's happened in history? So in Dzogchen Buddhism, it dates back through that lineage where the really advanced meditation practitioners preparing for a lifetime would go in for 49 days. Why 49? significant with the the bardo in the transitioning from this life to the next. Wow. However many days that that process is. It's like having the death before you actually have the death. And I feel like that's when somebody really gets down to the essence in the darkness, I feel like it's just that where you've finally collapsed and you're just ready to die, Mm -hmm. to what you think you are, what you've been, where you've let go of grasping and the aspirations for all our things in the world. And which I feel like after that, where a lot of people I feel like get hung up because there's such a a righteousness woven into it for myself as well as the graspings around spiritual achievements and attainments and spiritual states and visions and the the sensationalism that surrounds spirituality, which I just love about the darkness retreat because it's not really a sensational experience. It has moments, but like all in all, you're resting in the void. And it's, are you able to just fully dissolve into the infinite nothingness Mm -hmm. without wanting to be something special? Can we just be something simple Mm -hmm. and fulfilled within that? And so Dzogchen Buddhism, there's lineages in Taoism. The uh, Egyptians in the pyramids were said to have places for darkness. Uh, The catacombs in Greece. And then the Kogis in Colombia. The Kogi Mamos, the Mamos were the elders, the medicine men in the tribe. And at birth, through whatever process they had, they were chosen to go into the darkness for the first seven or eight years of their life with their birth mom in the beginning and the elders. And as I understand, for eight years, as I understand, it was not total darkness. They would not see the sun. They would come out at times and see the moon and the stars and have extended time in total darkness. Mm -hmm. So there are lots, and the Hopis, they had kivas, which were underground cave systems where they would also go into the dark. Mm -hmm. So it is a practice that's been done for so long by so many different cultures 
And now we have a modern resurgence, which is really interesting because in a lot of those other cultures, it was, it wasn't like the general public that was going into the dark. It was like, the chosen ones. It was the chosen ones. Mm-hmm. And people who had been practicing for a lifetime or were chosen at birth. Mm-hmm. And so now we have this unique thing happening around darkness retreat where it is kind of the general public going in. And when we set out and created the darkness retreats, I was under the impression that it would be people who had been really steeped in solitude and had like a solid... Like you. Yeah, I thought it would be people like me. As you do. And I, and I um, so when people started coming, I overlaid my way onto them. Which is, which was. Which was just like, here's the space, go do your thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which you're like, you're going to love it. You're going to, here you go, you <laughs> yes. go in. And I, you're qu- like, you're doing five days, yeah. good, six months. <laughs> I quickly learned that was not the way. And, I've learned and learn each time someone comes something different in that everyone's so different and there's not like a cookie cutter approach. There's not one practice that's going to take someone all the way through. It's like feeling into where Mm -hmm. someone is at and what's appropriate in supporting them because we're all so different. I'm like excited to feel my essence and to be like so because I'm such a empath and I'm such a feeler and like a previously unconscious way and a, a more conscious way. And I'm just excited to just be like, what is my energy? How does my energy feel where I'm not defining my energy in relation to others and I'm not defining how I feel in relation to others. And I have, I think about it a lot when I'm so crazy, but when I'll see like signs for lost animals <laughs> Or like animal stuff or just anything that really gets my heart. Like in my mind, I'm like, someday I will cry for hours about that. (laughs) And so I have my backlog of things I want to (laughs) feel. And I think a lot of people probably have that. And so I'm going to have this. That's what I'm most looking forward to is to have. And who knows what's going to happen when I actually get there. You know, God or my higher self is going to be like, just kidding. We're going to fucking whatever. But I have this desire to really have a lot of myself be able to move through the grief because I think the safety thing is important. And I didn't actually think about that where there is the feeling of not feeling unsafe much as a woman. And then there's the feeling of caretaking for others and tending to. And I think most people are like this, but I feel like I'm coming into the more confidence around the way that I like to be held and seen and supported by the people that love me. And it's very specific. And if it's not like that, I'm like, oh, I'm out, not safe, bye. Like, not gonna talk again, not gonna share again. So to have an opportunity where I'm only, I know I will be met because it's myself that's gonna be holding me through the process. I'm just really excited about feeling it all. Mm. It's gonna be beautiful. I'm excited. And so for, what's our preparation like? I'd love to talk a little bit about like how you prepare people from when we get there, Uh how we integrate after, like what do you normally do with folks? Yeah, so I'd say about 90% of people get these sessions that we offer with Adrian. She's somebody that works with us there that I've known for 15 years. And they're two hour sessions before and after someone goes in the dark. They're um, a blend of cranial sacral, Mm -hmm. somatic therapy, 
self-inquiry and Adrian's own kind of depth and mastery. It's been amazing witnessing the transformation of people before and after just the sessions with her. So that really grounds people and illuminates areas in the subconscious that people aren't able to see of things that are influencing them and or will come up in the dark. Mm-hmm. Like what's an example? For myself, I see Adrian as much as I can in like a formal setting. And I was reflecting with her and she asked me a question of why. I was reflecting that sometimes when I smoke cannabis, maybe a couple times a month, that I'm aware that my mind moves a lot faster than normal. Mm-hmm. Normally, I can rest in the space between thoughts for long periods of time. And when I smoke, the thoughts just move a lot faster. And I was just reflecting and she asked me why I was attached to stillness, why I valued stillness. Mm. And it was in that moment that I realized... Like, it's my job, baby. <laughs> this <laughs> is how a, we make the money. <laughs> it was in my mind I realized that I value, that I prefer stillness mm. over thoughts just racing through my mind. And in that could then see that I also have resistance to like a chaotic... When my house is chaotic, I have a three-year-old and a six-year-old. So it's my house is normally chaotic. And just the resistances that I have because I prefer stillness and that I preferred that I value stillness because I, through that, saw that I see it as a high spiritual achievement Mm -hmm. and that those being little righteous threads of like valuing one thing over another as opposed to in the dark feeling and being settled in that like what I am is not defined by that which appears. So whether there's thoughts or not, that which we are does not really care what's happening mm-hmm. on some level. And so getting caught in that. So that being like a whole subtle thread of like, wow, because I'm attached to this. And then everything that I do to posture to be in stillness. And then through my time in the dark, seeing that there's many different ways that I can enter into stillness. And some of them still have subtle threads of me controlling. Mm-hmm where I can drop in to that space between thoughts and remain there, but there's still subtle holding in that space because I want it so bad, as opposed to just fully collapsing and allowing whatever's present to be present. And if it's stillness, it's stillness. And if it's not, it's not. But my emphasis is just on resting with whatever is. Mm -hmm. And so that being a subtle kind of thing that Adrian helped illuminate for me to see some of those areas that I just can't see myself. Wow. Yeah, it's the control. It's so interesting how that can just pull back. You know how you can just always go back to the attachment, Mm -hmm. to the need to control. And I have so, so much of that that's so insidious in how the ego likes to be like, well, what do you, like stillness is better. You know what I mean? You're like, well, technically stillness is better. Sure, I still think it is. Yeah, still, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, as much as I know. Yes, 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 but yes. But yeah, yeah, I prefer that. Yes, you can like play around with like those parts of you. And I'm interested too to see how if the ego is resistant in the, because I've had this experience lately where I'm like, I know the higher perspective, but the ego is really not allowing me to. And there's part of the ego that's almost like not allowing me to 
Or it could be just saying that I don't want to spiritually bypass my feelings mm. and not feel them because you can understand the higher perspective and it could make you spiritually bypass straight to that. But okay, so we were talking about, so we do the session with Adrian. Oh, yeah, right. Yes. Yeah. So we do a session with Adrian. Uh, so you arrive and typically people arrive, they arrive around three. They have the day to kind of settle in, to be there during the time in Oregon. In Oregon. During the times when we can have the sauna lit, usually October till sometime in June, people go down and they can go in the sauna. The sauna is right by the creek, so it's cold plunge and can't wait. And then the next day, people will go into the dark that night and just get to feel what it's like and come out sometime the next day and kind of weave in and out and slowly settle in. There's been times where people will go right into the dark and a lot of times they have a hard time that first day. It's like from going from like zero to 10, from fast-paced, engaged life to just existing in a, a void is kind of a little drastic. So slow, slowly going in and so that next day weaving in and out of the dark, that's typically when that session is with Adrian and then that evening going into the dark fully. Mm spending however many days, three, four, five days in the dark, and then emerging in the morning and having that whole day to integrate. Adrian comes up for the session during that day. There's the sauna. I'll come up at a certain, I'll bring people out of the dark and be with them for the first hour, two hours, just chatting and reflecting and then leaving the next day. What do you find is like the number one thing that people say once they get out to you? And what is the physical difference that you see? Because I've known through just in my journey that people's physical appearance shifts and changes mm. often when you're doing things like this, when you're letting more of your soul in. What have you noticed that way? And then what is the one thing that people always say? Hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just the like the, when the mask comes off, they put on the mindfold while they're in there and then bring them out to the chair, a chair out there. So they're like seated grounded, comfortable as they enter into the light and just the like, whoa, that was crazy. Mm -hmm. It was pretty much across the board, uh, a shared experience. It's amazing getting to be with people when they emerge. There's so much wisdom and it's shared from such a pure space. They're not sharing it to be heard or witnessed, it's just like trying to put words to this indescribable experience. I'd say across the board, dreams are really powerful for people in there. It's the only activity of the day because you're just in this infinite void of nothingness and then you get to actually have some kind of adventure in your dreams. So the dreams really stand out for people. And is it because, I wanted to talk about the pineal gland mm -hmm. because... It's the place that produces melatonin and also DMT. And it's really important for your circadian rhythm and your sleep cycles. So what's happening to the pineal gland when you're, it's in the dark all the time and not being reset by the natural cycles of the sun? So Mantak Chia, who's done dark retreat for 15 or 20 years in Thailand, has some research out. I don't know how well researched it is or if it's something that he just intuited and has been accepted, but throughout the course of being in there, he says that you produce a surplus of melatonin that then goes through a bunch of other neurochemical processes and changes to where you secrete DMT. I'd say 
if we've had about 250 people come through, maybe two or three have had like very vivid, like IMAX theater-like visions, but it's very abnormal. Most people see like orbs and glows of light and wisps of light and like the room feels like there's a subtle radiance. It doesn't feel dark or look dark, but in terms of full-blown what somebody would maybe say is a DMT experience doesn't really happen. And in my conversations with um, Saskia, who is where Aubrey went in Germany and with Severin, who has the dark retreat in Guatemala, that that's just not that common that people have these full-blown DMT experiences. Do you find that the experiences for people that do plant medicine more regularly are more psychedelic and kind of out there? So the two people who had the really far out visions were really deep meditation practitioners. And yeah, I don't know what, what causes it for some, what causes it for others. Like my wife has auditory hallucinations when she goes in there. What's that? Like she hears music. She wow. said of like from all around the world, she's in music that she hasn't heard and she wants it to stop at a certain point. I am sure that's hilarious. <laughs> kind of said drives her a little nuts, but it just, <laughs> so, and there's been a couple other people who have said that they've had auditory, like or just heard music going on for a really long time. So that happens for some, but I feel like the hallucinations, they just don't happen for that many. And I feel like they're a trap for a lot of people that go in. People who want to go in because they want to swirl in sacred geometry or they want to, they find themselves grasping for it and just not able to totally collapse and surrender mm -hmm. because what they want is not simple. Mm -hmm. They want something special. Mm -hmm. And when we want something special, it's, uh, it's going to come and go anyway. Mm -hmm. Anytime I've had something especially spiritual, you know, it's never been when I've wanted it. <laughs> it's like the most unexpected times when you're able to just, it's able to just slip in through the ego, through the mind, through the consciousness and really allows it to happen. Do you think the radiance and the wisps and the, the sort of light that people see, because I'm pretty sure that that's what that will be my experience. What's your perception? Do you think it's angels? Do you think it's energy? Do you think it's beings? I'm not sure from a, I was talking with a neuroscientist. We've been getting a team together to start doing research on people when they go in and getting an EEG and doing precursors to DMT. One of them, I mean, from the scientific mind, just wrote it off as the mind wanting to see things and kind of projecting and overlaying that it's seeing what it could maybe see. But I don't know. I don't see too much of that mm -hmm. in there. Some occasional glows and whatnot. And some people find and feel that it is the presence of something else and that brings them comfort. And, mm -hmm. Do you uh, believe company. in that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I haven't had full-blown experiences of it in there that makes me be like, this is, mm -hmm. this is what's happening. And it's, it's never really been my emphasis in there. Mm -hmm. I have other subtle traps of spiritual desires while I'm in there that suck me in at times. Mm -hmm. My, I tend to go in now once a year. This last year I went in twice. My wife and I did our first one in 2012 and then we went in again together this last year, 10 years later. And 
the year before, I really wanted to feel my heart just overflowing with like nectarous love. And it was felt like such a pure, righteous desire. And when I came out and was reflecting with someone, I became aware that like I was subtly controlling my experience in there because I wanted this thing to happen and wasn't totally just collapsing and surrendering. Mm -hmm. And so this last time that I went in, my orientation was just welcoming all that was arising Mm -hmm. and softening. And that was it. I was committed to not wanting anything, but just softening. Mm -hmm. And for me, what helps is I lay down in bed about 20 hours a day. Wow. Because at this point right now, I don't trust myself on a subtle level to not try to control. Mm -hmm. So if I'm sitting upright and I have such a longstanding formal meditation practice and I feel really powerful and masculine when I'm sitting upright, that like I'm ready to just get after it and create whatever I want. Mm -hmm. If I lay down, then it's, I've totally disarmed myself. And I also, it also helps, it feels most supportive in softening and in surrendering where I'm not grasping, I'm not trying to achieve, I'm not trying to create something through breath work or anything. I think those have their place and I think it's beneficial. Just where I'm at right now, I'm most interested in exploring the depths of softness. Yeah, I've thought about, I think the thing that makes me I'm not really afraid to see what's going to come up or to feel because I, even though I avoid it at times, I very much, it's such a part of me. I think I'm, this is silly, but I think I'm most nervous about not being able to work out or walk. Mm. I love walking. I love, I just love movement. And so, and almost like at, at a level where it is, not it's not crazy but I just love to move like I love to move my body and I feel a little anxious when I'm not so I think that that type of stillness I'm most fearful of is being in a space where I can't move in the way that I do because mm-hmm. I've made that part of my identity where I'm like I love to move and I do mm-hmm. you know so I'm afraid of that and so one thing that I ask people sometimes mm-hmm. before they come and when they're in the dark is like what is your core desire the thing that is most important to you in my life yeah that you want more than anything there's a reason i came here and i want to make sure that i find that find that reason and i think i'm on my path and i think i've completed and found a frequency within what i do right now that i've been able to bring through and tap through that is very important to my mission but i think there's another frequency that exists that is looking for me and I'm looking for it. And I want to be in alignment enough to bring that frequency through as part of my mission. So I have this like, even since I was little, I've had this like deep fear of not fulfilling my mission and purpose here on earth. And that's not like, it's soul. It's from a soul level. It's not from 
I know when I'm in it and I know when I'm not. And it's not really like an ego thing. I know in my heart and soul, it's really that. So that's really my, my to find and exist in my purpose. And I know I am a purpose and God's like, you think that that's it, but you are purpose even when you're not. So cute that you think that, but I know that there's just like something that I want to bring through that's going to be really helpful for myself in the world. So I'd say when you've got that, yes. how do you feel? Like when you project yourself out that mm-hmm. you've finally gotten everything that you've wanted from the world, like where do you land and what do you do next? I think there's a feeling of peace, of course, peace. And I land at a place where, yeah, I can just find comfort that I fulfilled my mission. Um, but I land, yeah, at a place that's more peaceful. And while you're thinking about that, yeah. where do you imagine that there's a time where what you want has manifested and then that you don't want anything else that there's not mm. like the next thing that makes you yes. feel like so yeah is it never ending yeah like keeps you in the loop that keeps you yeah i've finally achieved this external thing yes. that, but then something else emerges so do you believe that there's a time when i'm where, going to be satisfied yeah yeah i feel very I mean, at a core yes yes i feel Yes, I do actually from, and it seems to not be true, but I know like even with almost 30, being able to align to the frequency of what we've brought through with almost 30, it was like, ah, yes, ah, you know, the ah, and now that I've changed, it's like, what's that new frequency? That's like the, ah, yes, satisfaction, but it could be something where I'm continuing on and I'm never satisfied. That's always available, but I do feel like, yeah, I don't know. I do feel like there's always just another level for me of, of knowing of myself and of knowing of earth while I'm here. But I hope that I feel satisfied. You know? I mean, I think just our natural human yeah. condition that like, we feel like when we get this, we'll be satisfied. Uh, yes. And, and if, we are, yes. but like, so like what happens that makes us eternally satisfied? Mm-hmm. What brings us into a space where we just like drop into satisfaction yeah. that is always present. Mm-hmm. And so that in the darkness, whatever that may be, exploring where is that Yeah, mm-hmm. within us? Mm-hmm. Do we believe that there's a space within us that is always satisfied, mm-hmm. independent of what's happening even within us and without mm-hmm that doesn't need to have spiritual highs or sensational phenomenal experiences. It could still certainly enjoy them. A space that's truly ready to die. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like where we're, and we can still aspire and want things in the world. And yet if they don't happen, we're still connected with that space that is always at rest. Mm -hmm. I think in the world that I'm in, spirituality is so much of the stuff and the things and the posturing and the more. And so what's your view of spirituality? Like, what do you see spirituality to be? Yeah. And I see a lot of people who come, especially 
younger people in their 20s, 30s, and maybe early 40s who grew up spiritually on podcasts and on (laughs) social media. It's so true. And (laughs) so when we bring forth, when spirituality is brought forth in that way, a lot, it's sensationalized because I mean, that's, it's, it's moving and it's like, and that's the stuff we can really talk about. Simplicity and serenity and peace just aren't that exciting and are harder to talk about. Yes. And I've been with people who have really profound spiritual experiences and have, can really go into states and spaces and lack compassion and love and like don't do really well when they're not special and no one's looking at them. And so I think there's, and that's not to say the gifts that they have aren't amazing and they add spice and flavor to life. But I think- Talking to me? No. (laughs) When those, you're not the person I was thinking of. (laughs) Okay, okay. (laughs) But like when those things become like spirituality, I feel like it's kind of lost really the essence of spirit which to me is just, it's all pervading. It's simple as well as special, but like the heart of it being simple. And what I found when people find that doorway in the dark is that they've finally just accepted that it's simple. And once they enter into that, it's just, it's amazingly special, but not in the way that I feel like we maybe think it is. Because the thing that's special is this universal thing that's not like this individual that's special because they're really cool. It's just like, it's special in, in a different kind of way. Mm-hmm. There's somebody that just went in and he was new. He was in his 50s, new to the spiritual path and went in and had a profound experience and didn't have really the words to put to it because he was so new in the space. And it was just so amazing witnessing him and his capacity to drop into the simplicity because he didn't have all these notions that like, if it doesn't look like this, then it's not it or it's going to be like this. And I feel like the thing that keeps people back from actually arriving at what they really want is their ideas of what it's going to look like when they arrive. Myself included, I know subtly, I feel like when I've fully arrived, my heart's just like overflowing with love. But like, is that really true all the time? And if that's not really true all the time, then like deep down, I've got a belief that like, if I'm not like that, I haven't arrived. And then I'm cut off from what I really am has already arrived and is already here. And it's like, it's in the pain and it's in the grief and it's in the anger and it's in like everything. And at that fullness of accepting it all and not just like spirituality is just this ecstatic bliss that's just amazing and special and kinetic and I want to be around it, but it's also simple and soft and all those other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the simple is so important. It's like you kind of go in the circle of spirituality where you get in and you're like, wow, all the things. And then you come back, you're like, oh, trees, <laughs> water. <laughs> you know, it just becomes earth, wind, air, fire. You know, it just becomes elements and becomes joy and becomes 
presence. It just becomes so simple. And I was thinking about when you're talking how biohacking, you know, the community of biohacking, it's like, that's probably why it does so well because it's so sensational and it's so sparkly and there's so much newness and like freshness to it. And then when we're talking about being special, A Course in Miracles talks about being special and it's like, you are not special. Specialness is part of the ego and part of the way the ego likes to hide and being special. And I was like, ugh, I read that chapter and I was like, ugh, I'm going to, I'm going to apply that principle in in a little while. (laughs) I like, even my ego, I was like, oh, I don't like this principle. Like, cause there is that part of you that's like, when you're little, you're like, I am, everyone kind of thinks that because we're all just the main character of our own movies. Like I am special. This experience is special. So to hear it is so relieving and heartbreaking at the same time. You know, you're like, oh man, it's such a relief that I'm not. And then you're like, oh, it's so sad that I'm not. You know, Mm. I've lived my whole life thinking that this was special or thinking that this was different. But when we really come down to it, it really is like all universal who we are. Yeah, and I think there's that discovery on the the positive side of that is that like the discovery that what is special is always present. Mm. So there's like, we then have access to being in the specialness mm-hmm. all the time as opposed to being special. We get to like be in the special. And mm-hmm. there's a woman that came months ago and she, when she came out, She was like, wow, I was so humbled in there. Mm -hmm. I came to a space where I accepted that I'm not the most beautiful and I'm not the most talented and I'm not the smartest. I'm not the strongest and all these things. And I'm still enough Mm -hmm. and landed in that space where it's like, I'm not special yet. I am rested in that, which is special. And. I was thinking about this, going back to the guy that comes that doesn't have the spiritual like language and verbiage and experience. It's so like nice to be with people like that. You're like, what a relief. I was like, wow, that was just incredible. You're like, totally. Oh, when he arrived, I was like, oh, Adrian, he's like got the Zen mind, beginner's mind. He is just going to go so deep. Yeah. He had no intentions. He just wanted to just rest. And when he was in there, I had asked him, like, are you aware of the space between thoughts? And he's just like, that's all that's happening. He's like, I don't, he's like, it, <laughs> it just feels weird. I don't know. And, and when he came out, I was like, did people meditate their entire lives and don't even dip into stillness that lasts for hours? And it was amazing witnessing him yeah. trying to put words to this. He's just like, I was just like, nothing's happening there. It's just nothing's going on. It was amazing. Did you know that the drugs we take to manage period cramps were invented in the 1950s and exclusively tested on men? (laughs) What? It's literally outrageous that there hasn't been more innovation when it comes to periods. Deloon is changing that with dietitian formulated solutions that relieve our symptoms while actually supporting cycle health. Because our cycles affect every aspect of our wellness, period pain, mood, sleep, skin, metabolism, energy, and more. I, I don't know about you, but you know, some some months I'm like, oh my gosh, like everything has to stop, but it really can't because I'm experiencing 
you know, really bad cramps or headaches, fatigue, bloating, you name it. I've really tried a lot of things. And while I think I've gotten most of my symptoms under control, it doesn't mean they still don't happen and kind of disrupt my flow. So I was really excited to find Daloon and recommend it to a lot of my friends and they have been absolutely loving it. I was talking to a friend the other day that experienced like really, really bad periods, cramps and just all these symptoms. And she was so happy uh, to try Daloon. She's noticed that her symptoms have subsided. They don't last as long. They're not as intense and she can really just be in her life, which is really nice. So Deloon Nutritional Solutions are dietitian formulated to work with your cycle health, not against it. It'll help you all month long while also relieving your cramps and PMS during your period. Deloon creates effective drug-free supplements for period cramps, PMS, and optimal cycle health. So you can get the relief you need naturally, which I'm all about, and start feeling like your best self. So if you want high potency, fast acting supplements for your period cramps, PMS, and really getting your cycle health in its prime top condition, like 92% of their customers report that relief, try Deloon. Leave bad periods behind and start the new year off with 23% off. Go to cyclehealth.com slash almost 30 and use the code almost 30 to get 23% off plus free shipping. If Deloon isn't the right match for you, your money back is guaranteed. That's cyclehealth.com slash almost 30 and use the code almost 30 to get 23% off plus free shipping. It's amazing hearing everyone because everyone describes it differently. Mm. And we film everyone when they come out. And so our Instagram is just filled with 10 second to 45 second bits of people coming out with this profound wisdom as they put words to what happened for them in there. What's the Instagram account? Sky Cave. Okay. Yeah. I'll put it in there. Yeah. I saw blues when she was talking about um, the difference between ayahuasca and doing one of those because she's a medicine woman And it was interesting. She said in the darkness, it's like immediate. The experience and lessons are immediate where ayahuasca can be before or after kind of in the liminal space. And I felt like that was so interesting. And it was interesting to see like what I noticed from her physically looking so different. Like I feel like there's just an energetic signature that people have when there's less frequent, like there's less static in the field that you can see Mm. when you see them. Do you find people's eyes look different or people look different when they come out? Yeah. There's definitely a like. Yeah. 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 And just everyone's like, everything looks brighter and more vivid. And it's just like, people are so at ease that just sitting in the chair, looking at nature, it's like kind of tripping out when you come out where it's just like, you could just sit and you're just like, content looking at life because it's so beautiful. I think another thing that emerges in there is people become so aware of their loved ones Mm -hmm. and how important the loved ones are in their life. Because in that space where there's nothing, you and you want to feel comfort and love, you reflect on those that bring that in your life. And it's so profound what happens, there's been 
a few people who have left early because they just wanted to go be with their family. There was somebody who was in there. He was going to be in there for 10 days. And after four days, he's like, I'm going to, leave. I want to leave. And he was so happy. He's like, I want to, I got to go be with my mom and my dad. Like I haven't, I didn't really, I only called them for their birthday. I want to go, I want to go see them and I want to go be with them. And this, there was one other person who came in and after four days, he's like, I'm going to leave. And he was so happy with the clarity that he got. He said, when I come home from work, I go right up to my room and I meditate and I kind of avoid my family. And I've always held spirituality to be so important. And he's like, it's not important to me anymore. I don't, it's, spirituality is not important. I just want to be with my family. Mm-hmm. And he was so happy that how he in his mind had come to what spirituality looked like Control. and what it's going to look like mm-hmm. when he arrives. Solitude. Solitude, mm-hmm. meditating, austere, yep. I'm alone. Mm-hmm. I have those same you problems. You understand, you're not spiritual. Yep, and then he's mm-hmm. just like, he's in there all alone and realizes that like in that space, he just, that thing is not available to him where he feels that wholeness and that connected and he wants his family. And he was so happy to go leave and be with his family. Mm. And there's been a few, there's a woman who came and similar where she was just like, I'm, I've been so focused on healing mm-hmm. and being in that space. Like when somebody's about to die, who cares about healing when you're about to die? You just, you want to be in love and you want to be close to the people you like. It becomes so simple. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's what the darkness does is no one wants to have a special experience when they're about to die. You just want to be rested in the simplicity mm-hmm. surrounded by love. Mm-hmm. And she was like, I'm going to go. I want to go be with my family. And I don't need to be focused on all this healing. Mm-hmm. I don't even have anything wrong with me. I don't know why I'm so focused yeah. on healing. I just want to be with those that I love. And that's been something that I've seen a lot for some people. Yeah, that's huge within the spiritual community too, is that focus on healing and sort of that like liminal space in that loop where people are constantly healing and it's coming from a place of like self-hate and not self-love. You know, it's not seeing healing as like, I love myself so much that I'm going to allow myself to heal or give myself the opportunity or see yeah, just, I love myself enough. So I will heal. It's like, I forever need to heal. There's so much I need to heal. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just that nonstopness. And I think in our world and spirituality and in like, even in social media, even like Instagram therapy world, it's just like, now people are so aware of all the things that they need to heal or they need to do. And it just becomes a, cycle where people just get so stuck and it's almost like masochistic and then almost like narcissistic a little bit where it's like so obsessed with themselves and their healing it's weird Mm -hmm. yeah i think there's a and that's why i love the darkness Mm -hmm. for it really cuts through Mm -hmm. a lot of that i mean people come and they'll still do their practices and what I've seen where people have their biggest insight, breakthrough, new discovery is where they've just, they've exhausted that. Yes. You can't distract yourself forever in there. People do a really good job for a long part of the day. And then at a certain point, there's just the meltdown. And it's like in that moment where we finally stopped controlling mm-hmm. through these ways that we don't even see that we're controlling. Like we're meditating and praying and chanting and breath work and like, 
for some, there's a subtle thing under there that like we're not already where we want to be. And yeah. that's why we're doing those things. There can also be doing those things because we love them and we like, it's great to have a body and be alive and express and have fun. But being clear, is that why we're doing them? Or are we running from our discomfort or wanting to overlay things? So in the darkness, at a certain point, we exhaust all that and then we're confronted with what's present. Mm-hmm. And the typical process in the dark when somebody gets in there they sleep for some people just have one normal sleep and that's it i feel like when people tend to be a little more anxious they just don't sleep as long in the beginning and then some people will sleep for a full day or two days when i go in now i'll i'll sleep almost for two full days i'll get up and go to the bathroom i'll drink water and i'll go right back to bed my intention when i go in initially is just to pretty much be as lazy as possible I'm not trying to achieve anything, but at a certain point, it's clear that like my laziness is not work. I'm awake now. I, I have to shift focuses. Mm-hmm. After that, there's like a period of novelty where it's like, wow, this is amazing being in this quiet space. And for some people that lasts a day and some people like an hour or two. And that's when then the meat of just like <laughs> the volcano erupts of just of all the things, the past and the future and the desires and the resentments and all that. And there's a find that is a big journey in forgiveness in there too. Because when we dive into, we replay all those things and people are like, wow, I haven't thought about this person that did me wrong 20 years ago. And like, I thought I was over it and actually like, I'm still having feelings about it. And so all those resentments and hurts from past things. I see that forgiveness is a big theme because in our day-to-day life, I feel like we distract ourselves before discomfort even arises. It's like the inkling of discomfort and like we're on our phone, we're eating food, we're going for a walk, we're doing something wholesome, we're exercising, we're moving. It's like whatever it may be, we never really let discomfort arise. And in there, there's no escape. You can't hide. And so there's a level of discomfort that we've never experienced before. And then it's like, what do we do to comfort ourselves? And something that I find is that when somebody's bit off more than they can chew, they've gone in for too long. They've chosen a length that's too long. Whether it's four days, five days, 10 days, whatever it may be, when that discomfort period arises, And in their mind, they think about how long they have. They're like, that's too long. I can't do this. And they lean out. And there's like, there's a coping. There's a dissociating. There's a numbing. And we do it all the time with all the things in our life. And so most people don't even realize that that's what they're doing in there at that point. And they may still do their practice and their movement and their breath work and their yoga. But there's like the undercurrent of why they're doing all that is to avoid the discomfort and the pain. Mm -hmm. And then there's when that person's hit their sweet spot and it still could be three days, five days, 10 days, the discomfort arises and there's like, I can do this. I have heard people and they're like, I can do this. And they lean in and they feel all that pain and discomfort. And they could still do their yoga and their breath work and just the subtle nuance of why they're doing it is different. There's a real meeting 
and authenticity and vulnerability mm-hmm. with that. There's a woman who was in there who had had severe depression for many years. And I was asking her what her core desire was. And she had said acceptance. And so the next day when I was up there, I was asking her how that was going. And she said she was scared that if she accepted her current state, that it would last forever. Mm. That if she accepted the pain and the sadness that she was feeling, how would it change? And I've reflected so much on that of seeing that we feel like we have to do something Mm -hmm. to change our pain and to change the grief, that we need to do something. And people still do that while they're in the dark. They do all their practices. And I asked her, like, what if it never goes away? What if that pain never goes away? And the next day when I went up there through however she oriented, she just was so happy. She's like, I feel like I've never experienced gratitude before. I've always said thank you. I've had gratitude circles. But like, she was like, wow. It, she dove in and ex- truly accepted her pain and discomfort without trying to change it. And there's been times since then where I've explored that of like where I feel shitty. And I'm like, well, if I just go for a run or take a cold shower, I can change this pretty easily. But I'm like, well, I'm curious. I'll just lay down and rest in it and feel like shit. And I hit that moment, which makes me think of her, where I'm like, if I accept this, is it really going to change? Like just by being with it? And so at times I'll give myself the space to explore just being with the shitty feelings and not trying to change them, which I feel like is a superpower for women. Mm -hmm. And men have a lot of trouble doing that. Mm -hmm. It's heartbreaking. Tara Brock is is a teacher, meditation teacher, and she tells the story of inviting Mara to tea. It's inviting Mara to tea. And it's basically inviting those feelings, the depression, the anxiety, and just hearing out, you know, what they have to say or whatever the feeling is. And that's sort of like internal family systems too. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's loving all parts of you. Like there are no bad parts. So even the parts of the deepest pain and grief, like how can you be with them or love them or make them a part of you? And yeah, I think that's where when we talk about that related to healing, it's like how much of healing is trying to change the experience or trying to, yeah use healing as a way to try and make yourself different or better or, you know, kind of progress or something like that. And I think a lot of that can get really tricky within the space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's, I feel like the darkness allows us to see the eternal Mm -hmm. because externally nothing's happening. It's like, it's not static, but it, it's static in the sense that it's not changing. And we have such a deep desire to be happy and be comfortable. And now we're in a space where nothing's coming to make you comfortable. Mm-hmm. Nothing's coming to make you happy. It's like, this is it. It's like you're laying on the deathbed and this is it. So it's like, at that point, what do you do? 
and how do you orient and what becomes the most important thing to you. And so that being like that core desire and for some, everyone qualifies it differently in there. And that's one thing I love about the darkness and how we hold it is there's no practice. There's not like, I might suggest exploring this or tell stories of other people, but like at the end of the day, people feel into their own authentic movement. And so some people, for her, it was acceptance, someone else it's intimacy or love or compassion or kindness. or And then their world centers around like when's the last time that 24-7 we just rested in love or acceptance and we got to see everything that pulled us away from that. And like that being the essence of being in the dark is where it's like, we're not going in there for healing, but healing happens. We're not going in there to awaken, but awakening happens. Just going to like, just rest with what is and really feel into at this time in our life, how do we qualify what's most important to us? Can't wait for the nervous system rest. That's amazing. I can't wait. Yeah. For my nervous system to just be like, finally relaxed. You ever really see how much we always have our guards up? Yeah. And that being another thing of where if just the support of yeah. getting to collapse because you don't have to have your guards up. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. can finally just unfurl. Beautiful. Last question is, who would you recommend this for? You know, if someone's listening and they're like, you know, I want some of that. Right. Who would you recommend it for? There's been such a wide array of people that have come that I've been continuously humbled and blown away by from the benefit that they've gotten. And I think anyone who wants to explore the depths of their being, who want to explore the depths of rest, of softness, of surrender, who want to really dive into the feminine qualities, that this is something that would be really supportive. Beautiful. I'm excited. I can't wait. So the next episode will be my recap of my experience. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm really grateful to have met you. I'm grateful to have this conversation. And this feels really aligned to the direction that we're going as it relates to our spiritual progression. And I'm excited. Wish me luck. Yeah. Can't wait. I look forward to being there with you. Amazing. All right. Bye, everyone. Thank you so much, Scott. Mm -hmm. Scott Berman from Sky Cave Retreats. Can't wait to see all of our almost 30 babes headed to Oregon. I said, I was like, get ready. Get ready, baby. They're a special bunch, honey. He said the women do way better than the men. Mm -hmm. Way better than the men. I believe it. Which I love. Yeah. I love. So, yeah, ability to soften and surrender. I appreciate you guys so much. Thank you for listening and being a part of our community. You can go to almost30.com. We have courses and programs there if you want to dig in deeper, information about us and our partners, the amazing sponsors that sponsor our show. Almost 30 Podcast on Instagram, baby. You can get inspiring quotes, memes, reels, and then we are TikToking. Almost 30 Podcast on TikTok is popping off. It's (laughs) popping. Yeah, make sure you follow us on TikTok. Share clips on there that I feel like are either very funny 
they are little doses of, hmm, didn't know that. So make sure to follow us. Thank you all for listening. As always, we love you so much. Thanks for growing along with us and we will see you on the next one. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.